guys have seen reports about us bringing Derek Carr in about a week and a half ago. I can tell you that was a fantastic visit. Uh, we really enjoyed spending time with him. Obviously, he's the, he's the only quarterback that I can, I can really shed any light on for you guys uh, since he's the only quarterback that's that's a free agent. But you know, I can say that uh, he left a he left a strong impression with everybody. And so, um, obviously, we're going to be exploring the, the veteran quarterback market this offseason, and we're going to look at every available option. We feel like when it's time to make the right decision, whenever they're processed, we're going to make the best decision for the Jets. I'm not in the business of making other teams better. I'm in the business of making the Cincinnati Bengals better. And so trading T. Higgins is not on my mind. That's their problem. They want a receiver. Go find your own. You know, in my my opinion, you know, T. Higgins is a good piece for the Cincinnati Bengals. So the trade stuff is a little ridiculous right now. There's a lot of things that go into playing this position really well. There's a lot of different people that can fit those traits and qualities. And I think we've seen our in our league the last so many years, you know, the requirements have changed, you know, height, size, you know, there's certain people that, you know, can do things with their legs that, you know, others got other guys can't um, big arms, you know, less, less than that, something less than that. So um, it's not one size fits all. Uh, but I think there's a lot of things you're looking for if you're going to commit to them. You know, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know. You're proud of that, aren't you, Jared? That's from one 30-second soundbite. <laughs> the snow has stopped. You know, it has. You know, you know, yeah. you know, you know, you know. Yeah. We got like four minutes of snow. It didn't stick, thank God. No. I, I like it. I, have, I, I love it. Is there a point where I'm going to age into being interested in the weather? Yes. Yes. Okay. Because it's still not there yet. Snow in March in Summerlin? It was going crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, we I'm just annoyed, Jared. We have a global climate it's problem. It's cold outside. <laughs> I live in Las Vegas. It's not supposed to be cold. Well, don't worry. You're going to be living on the coast soon once after all the once all the <laughs> ice caps melt. And Wonderful. California just gets flooded. Can we make that happen? Uh, we're, hey, man, our best people are working on it. We got Elon. The Henderson, <laughs> the Henderson Beach will be great. All right. Um, Dan Snyder. Have you seen these stories about Dan Snyder right now? These stories, like there haven't been ones in the past. But we've had a couple of different ones. First off, uh, NFL owners are concerned about the Washington Commander sale because Dan Snyder is reportedly not going to allow Jeff Bezos to buy the franchise. Um, and NFL owners are concerned that Snyder might just keep the team. Dan Snyder reportedly wants $7 billion for the Commanders. The, for checking in. The highest reported bid was $6.3 billion, wow. And he said, no thanks. i got to have that, that $700 million more. I do not know the answer to that. Uh, the, the story... Uh, was that ESPN story, I think it was, did not have who actually bid the $6.3 billion. So that's sort of one level of Dan Snyder potentially getting out of the NFL and selling the Washington Commanders. But there's a whole other story from ESPN yesterday. There's a federal, federal investigation into Dan Snyder, and all of this centers around a $55 million loan that was taken out by the Washington commanders. And the reason there is a federal investigation, the reason a lot of these details we're going to get into have become public is because minority owners of the commanders did not want the commanders to take, take out, out a $55 loan. million right. dollar loan. 
So they started looking into the team finances, basically to be like, why the hell are we taking out a $55 million loan? And now there's a federal investigation into Dan Snyder because of this. Here are some of the details. Dan Snyder leased his private jet to the commanders, the team that he owns, and then charged the team $4.5 million for advertising because he put the commander's logo it's on good it. business. <laughs> so Dan Snyder took four and a half million from his team and put it into basically his, his bank account. Because for advertising. Because he slapped a big W on the side right. of the plane. Snyder also used team funds to buy a personal yacht and pay for the crew of the personal yacht, plus paying for dinners and hotels, whatever, in Europe, right? So basically, bought a yacht with Red or with Commander's money, bought a yacht and the crew with Commander's money, went to Europe, paid for dinner, paid for where he was staying with Commander's money. And then this one is one of the more uh, hilarious ones to me. One of the minority owners wanted to sell his 10% stake in the franchise. Yeah, because he wanted to get the heck away from this guy. <laughs> and he had a Canadian businessman Willing who to pay it. Was, re- was ready to buy it. And Dan Snyder said, you can't sell because that guy would not be approved by the NFL as an acceptable minority owner. Because the NFL does have to approve Anybody right. that buys right. into a team. But Snyder said you can't sell to him. The NFL won't approve him. The next year, that Canadian businessman bought a stake in the Atlanta right. Falcons and was approved by the NFL. So I'm sitting here with 10% of a four or five billion dollar franchise, and I want to sell it. And I find somebody that's willing to buy it from that's me. That's obviously legitimate. And Dan Snyder comes in and says, No, you can't sell yeah. to him. You're costing me massive right. amounts of Hundreds money. Of millions of dollars. And now, a year later, that guy who you just said wasn't good enough He's to be in the NFL the Falcons. bought it from the Falcons instead. <sighs> I'd be investigating him, too, if I was a yeah. minority owner in that situation. So those are you all... imagine all the things this guy's done, and he's still the owner of this team. They haven't been able to get him out. So the other interesting part of this investigation and what a lot of these minority owners are claiming, they are claiming that the NFL has gone out of its way to protect Dan Snyder. Why? That the NFL knew about some of these things or knew about things that Dan Snyder was doing that he shouldn't have been doing and didn't do anything to punish him and went out of their way to make sure he wouldn't get in trouble for it. And now there's a federal investigation into it. And I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand the latter part where they're standing behind him and trying to trying to save him. I, I don't get it. I don't understand. I'd love to ask owners, what do you think, and why do you want him to remain in charge of this organization? I mean, we make the assumption a lot that owners don't like to get rid of their fellow owners because but then, this they're, guy? But then they're next. But this one seems I mean, like a no-brainer. Yes. <laughs> like, I mean, if you're worried about your next, don't have a federal investigation into your finances right. and you'll be okay. Because the other part of this, this is not the first thing that Dan Snyder no. has had. Dan Snyder's got uh, sexual assault yeah. 
cases against him or were against him from the cheerleaders, right? Like this is not, it's not like, oh, we just discovered Dan Snyder was hiding money or taking money. This has been an ongoing situation and it's not just always about, oh, he's hiding money. Dan Snyder's done terrible things as the owner of an NFL franchise and they still don't get rid of him. Was this kid eating sushi off models on the yacht? No, don't don't you drag Max Gillum's name through the mud. Max no, Gillum was just, great. I didn't even say it was wrong. I'm just asking you a question about whether or not Dan Snyder might have followed suit and had a had a, a sushi model come on. Only if the commanders paid for the model. That's right. He didn't pay for the model. If the commanders foot the bill, absolutely. If not, nah, not doing it. Expensing that. That's right. You're expensing the sushi model the entire way. So. There's your uh, part of the situation with Dan Snyder and trying to sell the commanders, or maybe he's not trying to sell the commanders because, oh, the other fun part of this, um, Dan Snyder wants the NFL to indemnify him against future legal issues, which basically (laughs) means he wants the NFL, when he sells the team, to say, we will not come after you, you're protected against whatever, which... All the things I just read to you from the ESPN story is insane. That he won't be sued. Right. To think that, oh, yeah, you guys have to protect me from all this right. stuff, too. I can't, you know, I'm not getting in trouble for all this. And if you don't do that, then I'm just not going to sell the team. Guys, insane. It's, it's absolutely <laughs> insanity. I've said before, he's still the owner of this franchise. I've said before that, like, we pick our favorite sports teams usually when we're like 10 years old or whatever. And, the number one thing that should that impacts if your favorite sports team is going to be good or not is the ownership because that does not change very often and there are good owners there are bad owners there are owners that spend there are owners that don't spend whatever but we choose a team when we're 10 and we have no idea who the owner is we choose it because we live in that city or because they we were like good the uniforms. or right but i don't know if there's is there a franchise that has a group of fans that I should feel worse for about who their owner is no, than the commanders. No. In any sport. Because that's bad. I mean, there are teams in sports who, baseball especially, who don't spend don't money. Spend. Don't spend. Right. Don't spend. Hello, Las Vegas says. <laughs> uh, who don't buy players that are, you know, to get rid of all their good players. But you kind of know that going in. There, you know, that that that's just an owner's choice about money. But there, I don't think there's any team in any sport you can think of that has this dude as an owner. And has done what he's done right. to ruin this franchise. And they're not good. Right. Like, we're not talking about, oh, the Commanders won they three didn't Super Carson Bowls. They did do that. But we're not talking about, like, oh, the Commanders won three Super Bowls in the last 15 years. And, yeah, Snyder's an <laughs> ass, but... No, because they run the ball. <laughs> <laughs> they run the ball in the fourth quarter. They don't pass. Well, <laughs> I will say this. If your quarterback is Carson Wentz last year or Taylor Heineke, you might Maybe actually be, be better off. The ball. Maybe yeah. he should be running the ball. That might be the good way to go. Which, okay, so they did on the football side. They released Carson Wentz. Um, they saved $26.2 million in cap space by doing that. He has played the last three seasons with three different teams. Who's going to sign him with that money? Does anybody sign him? Like, is there anybody yeah, that says, eh, you could be a starter? I don't know as a starter, but someone's going to sign him. Guys always get jobs. He's been around long enough to where he's going to get a job. He's not going to get that money. I mean, I'd sign him as a backup. That's what I'm saying. Someone yeah. will, I think someone will sign him. I'd sign him for, I don't know what backups are going to go for, $5 million right. to be my backup because Carson Wentz has been a disaster for, what is it, three straight years now? But as far as backup quarterbacks go, 
he's going to be better than most at stepping in and you know sure. my starter gets hurt and I need yeah, to close out a game yeah, or exactly. whatever. He's going to be better than most. That might have some hilarious turnovers and I lose a game because of it, right. but most backups aren't going to be very good. So I'd absolutely sign him as a backup or we when we talked to Ken Bulky, the Bucks fan earlier. He'd take him as a starter. Sign him as a starter and you try to lose all the games. Yeah, then you get Caleb Williams <laughs> next year. <laughs> Which would be fun. So should the Raiders sign him? Be a backup to a rookie? No, because I think Stidham's better. Okay. What if what if Stidham wants more money? What's he make now? Well, he made he made less than a million last year. Well, he's gonna want more than that. What if, what if Stidham is like, I want nine million and Carson, Carson Wentz, Wentz is like play oh, for five? Right. Then we're getting into a discussion. Yeah, it'd be fun. Then we're getting into a discussion. Because again, when you sign quarterbacks, they're salary and their contract is often dictated by like how good you think they are and what role they're going to play right the broncos with russell wilson the browns with deshaun watson they were like we're getting our franchise quarterback so we'll give you the massive contract but when you sign a guy to be a backup he's not going to get paid very much i'm curious what sidham's contract looks like if they're assuming the raiders bring him back i think they're gonna bring him back because are they bringing him back with the idea that he's the starter as a bridge over a rookie are they bringing him back to be the backup to a rookie, like, because that's going to determine his contract, and if obviously, if other teams want him to be a starter or pay him more, but could he be a starter at ten million? I think Stidham. I mean, I don't know Jarrett Stidham, but that would be more money than he's made in his entire career. Right. So he probably would take that, I would guess. But like, if you're Jarrett Stidham and the Raiders are like, "Yeah, we're signing you to to start while Hinton Anthony Hooker's Richardson your backup or something," I, if I'm Jarrett Stidham. Dugan. If I'm Stidham, I'm saying, okay, so where's my $25 million? Yeah. Like, you see what starting quarterbacks get paid in this league? Where's where's my $25 million? Whereas if they're, if it's, hey, we're going to sign you and you're going to back up, uh, Richardson. then, all right, I'm your backup, $5 million or whatever that dollar amount is. So I'm curious to see what Stidham's contract is because we all we all kind of assume. I think he's coming back. He'll be back with the Raiders, but right. does, does another team want him? Do you think anybody else saw those last two games and thought, eh, <laughs> He can run. Let's take there it. Oh, he can run in He's the fourth a quarter. He's oh, the Super Bowl. Titans are going to get him. All right, coming up next, it's Bischoff's Briefs. Bischoff's Briefs today has a fun story from Sports Illustrated. During the 2020 Major League Baseball season, 15 jerseys were stolen from visiting teams when they were taking on the Colorado Rockies. Ten were stolen from the Dodgers. Of course. Two from the Giants, two from the Padres, and one from the A's. And again, they were all stolen when these teams went on road trips. Into Denver? To Denver. And this story starts with the Giants. The Giants equipment staff realized that they had two jerseys gone missing. And their equipment manager... Spent a couple of days like asking the players, hey, did you give away your jersey or anything like that? Asking other people if they, you know, put the jersey somewhere. Even called the Rockies after the Giants left and said, hey, did our jerseys get stuck in the washing machine? Did they get left anywhere? Couldn't find them. So the Giants had two missing jerseys. They then called the Padres after the Padres took a trip there and asked the Padres, uh, you guys have anything turn up missing? And after the phone call, the Padres equipment staff realized they also had two jerseys that had gone missing, as well as some Fernando Tatis batting gloves. 
Then the Dodgers went, and the Dodgers had 10. Well, they were stealing from the best team. Come on. The Dodgers had 10 jerseys that were Who missing. can get into a... Because there is, there is someone outside checking credentials, and I don't know what they do during the game, but I imagine someone's manning the ship. Someone walked in and took 10 jerseys and walked out? So here's, here's why this story is even more fascinating. This was during the 2020 season. This was during the 60-game season where nobody was allowed to go anywhere. There were strict, right. strict protocols on who could go who went in the clubhouse anywhere to the point where it was players. But after players, like we're talking the coaching staff and we're talking the equipment managers and we're talking the janitorial staff. And that was it. They at one point interviewed a janitor who they saw on a security camera that was just in there cleaning it at one point. And they were like, well, this is when they could have been stolen. So they interviewed the janitor. They were convinced it wasn't the janitor. They, some of the um, equipment staff people were like, I trust my guys, but there's no real good explanation other than one of them stole it. So they had to interview their own people and be like, did you steal these jerseys? And they couldn't, they didn't, nobody thought it was anybody on their own staff uh, with the Rockies or with the teams that had it stolen. The security photo uh, videos that they watched, there was nobody that came in and out that wasn't supposed to be there. That's why they interviewed the janitorial staff because they were the only other people there. The Denver Police Department got involved. And the way they ended up figuring this out, the jerseys started showing up for sale on eBay. Now, the guy selling them on eBay, did not steal them. The guy selling them on eBay lived in Washington, and he bought them from somebody else on Facebook. That's who stole the jerseys, the guy that sold them on Facebook. Did they catch him? Yes. He worked for a company at the Denver airport that loaded luggage for chartered flights. So from each team that flew in. So what he would do is he would, according to the story, he wore like compression shorts under sweatpants and he would be the one that would take the bags in and load them up underneath the airplane or where people sit on the bottom of the airplane. So he'd be in the bottom of the airplane loading these up by himself and that's when he would open up bags, pull out jerseys, stuff them in his pants and because I guess he was wearing baggy sweatpants, you couldn't really tell there were jerseys stuffed in his pants. And that's how he stole well, these, and then I mean, he sold them. If I saw that guy after the Dodgers plan, I'd say, you working out in lower body? <laughs> I mean, 10 of those jerseys this, stuffed the key, in your pants? The key with the Dodgers is he, he took, I think, four when they got to Denver and then took six when they left Denver. So he didn't take 10 at one time. He took them in, he took them in two six different Six jerseys hits. in his pants. Apparently. That's what he did. Maybe there were two different... Uh, Maybe he had to run to his car and threw some in there and then said, ah, I'm back. He had to, he had to take a bathroom break to empty his uh, pants there. But that is how these jerseys got stolen, is a guy at an airport was taking them out of bags, stuffing them in his pants, and then selling them. Arrested? Uh, he got arrested. He ultimately, he actually got charged with like one of the highest grade felonies you can get charged with because he stole, it was like over $10,000 worth of stuff or something like that. Um but he pled to a much lower charge, and I think he's only he only got probation out of it. Okay, didn't actually serve any uh, time. Yeah, didn't actually go to prison or anything. Uh, so yeah, 
that's uh, how these uh, 15 jerseys. The funniest part, though, the A's had one jersey stolen, but they never knew. Did they even know who the player was? It was Matt Chapman who Did was the hurt. Did know who the yeah. player was? Well, it was Chat. They ended up trading him. <laughs> but it was Matt Chapman who was hurt at the time, so they didn't realize his jersey was gone until everything, had already, everything had already finished. And they were like, oh, right. we were missing a jersey right. this entire time. Um, so, yeah, fun story about how you stole jerseys. Uh, two other details from that story. One, Clayton Kershaw has used the same glove in every start since his second season in the major leagues. How's that thing still holding together? Does he use a different glove to warm up and stuff? Maybe he's got some glue in it. Because surely, I guess you can, you know, restring it, but... It's the blue glove he wears. Yeah, is that glove still holding on? Yeah. That's that's, imp- that's an old glove. It's where he keeps the spider tack, I right? Say, I was going to say, what's he got in there? What's he got in there holding <laughs> it together? Because the Giants equipment manager in this story said when he heard the Dodgers got hit, he was worried Clayton Kershaw's glove got stolen. Because he was like, we can replace jerseys. That guy's worn the same glove every single right. game for 15 years or whatever it's right. been. We can't replace that. If that's stolen, that's stolen, and Kershaw doesn't have his glove forever. So that was one detail. The other one, uh, they talked to Rockies manager Bud Black, and he was talking about how the clubhouse is like a sanctuary. You know, it's like you trust the guys that come in there, you tip the clubhouse attendants and all that because of all they do for you. He gave the quote, I hang jeans up with a couple hundred bucks in there because I trust people. First off, who hangs up jeans? Jared hangs up jeans. I knew there was going to be somebody well, in this room that hangs I mean, up jeans. After I the, mean, if after I had the wash, because they can't go in the dryer. Okay, no, that doesn't. Yes, the, you does that not count? allowed to use the dryer. Okay, I have to hang them up. <laughs> I have to hang them up for them to dry. But once they dry, you fold them and put them. Yes, in, a drawer, in a drawer or something. I don't have a dresser, so you hang up everything. Yeah. Okay. So you got gym shorts hung up. Okay, I will say those get shorts, underwear, and socks get kind of wadded up into separate piles. <laughs> <laughs> the other ladies, thing, I'm single, and, <laughs> and I know your answer to this, Ed. But Bud Black still keeps a, a couple hundred dollars in cash on him. If I pulled out the wallet, did you spend that one dollar you had yesterday? I still got it. Okay, in there. Hey, one dollar. I still have it in there. Bud Black's hanging up his jeans and he's carrying around a couple, couple hundred, hundred in cash. Come on, Bud Black. Get, in the, get, up, get up to date on things. All right. Coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, Chris Powell from Las Vegas Motor Speedway joins the show. Schroeder left wing. Lobs for oh, Davis. Intercepted by Bain. Bain gets by a defender. Bain lobs for Moran. Oh, what an alley-oop. And a two-handed finish for John Moran. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now, the president of Las Vegas Motor Speedway, Chris Powell, as NASCAR is back in Las Vegas this weekend, capped off Sunday with the Cup Series, the Pennzoil 400. Uh, good morning, Chris. How are hey, you? Chris. Good morning, Tyler. Hello, Ed. Thanks for having me on today, gentlemen. How are you? What a, what a day we're having in Las Vegas. I had snow at my house. Yeah, Wait. snow. Is it sticking out there? It was sticking in Summerlin. It's sticking big time in Summerlin, let me tell you. There you go. Has there been Crazy. A, has there been a NASCAR race in Vegas where you had to worry about snow? The year 2000, never forget it. Uh, we had our front come through, and uh, we and we actually had snow during the race. And, uh, of course, they had to uh, stop the race because uh, it turned to rain, and, and then all the wind came, and uh, the, they couldn't get the track dry, and it continued to drizzle. It was a... It was one of the worst days of my life, I'll tell you that. It's not <laughs> but, what you uh, want to see when you're running the thing. 
unfortunately, this weather is supposed to get out of here, and we're going to have a great weekend of racing here at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Sorry for bringing up one of the worst days of your life, Chris. I, I apologize for that. Um, so uh, what are you looking forward to this year? What's going to be the most exciting part of the weekend for you? Well, you got Kyle Busch, a Las Vegas native, and probably one of the certainly one of the top ten drivers in the history of our sport, will be competing on in all three races on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Friday in the trucks, Saturday in the Xfinity cars, and Sunday, of course, in the Cup Series. And his son Brexton, six years old, will be running a Bandolero here at the Bullring on Saturday evening after the Xfinity race. Uh, just so many things going on. What's most satisfying is just the, the, the fans who are on the property and having fun, enjoying the overall experience, not just about the racing, but about the, the experience itself of being on our midway and, uh, the, and in the neon garage, you name it. Uh, when, when you come to a racing NASCAR racing at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, you get a lot more than just the racing. So we've uh, we've got a we got looking forward to a big weekend. You know, uh, we've been doing this now about 27 or so years here at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and proud of the role we've played in our community and made a lot of people happy on the property here over the years with uh, with great racing. and And they come to town from all over and all sell tickets in all 50 states, and so people coming in and and enjoying not only great NASCAR action but city has to offer and so it makes uh, sort of makes my job a lot easier in that promoting an event here in the world's greatest city makes uh, makes it a lot of fun and and uh, we enjoy the role we get to play in the community as a, as a good business partner yeah you talked about Kyle one of the greatest ra- racers ever um, I'm not sure people realize how good he is and like you said all three uh, all three races what what you know Kyle uh, very well what about has made Kyle so good and what about I guess his personality has allowed him to be as competitive as he is and be as good as he is you know if I if I could explain it I'd, I'd probably try to teach my kids or grandkids that, <laughs> I'm telling you but from day one Kyle and Kurt both just had a they were driven than probably racers I've ever seen. They were, and, and and no pun intended there. I mean, they they didn't care who they had to knock out of the way. They didn't care what they had to do, the links they had to go, and not just behind the steering wheel, but underneath the car. They they those two guys uh, from day one with their dad Tom were working on race cars and learning everything about a race car that you could possibly learn and. I believe that that translated into more effective driving, and when they got behind the wheel, they really were as determined as anybody you'll ever see. And I, I think Kyle's got a little bit of Earnhardt in him. Uh, maybe maybe he needed a little bit more over the course of his career so far. Maybe he's needed a little bit more Jimmy Johnson in him, but he's but he's had Earnhardt in him in that he's just such a tough customer, still is. And would be my pick Sunday to win. I, I, I don't know how you bet against a guy who just won this past week in California. He challenged for the victory in the Daytona 500. And, uh, and you know, what makes Kyle great behind the wheel might not, what make, be, might not be what makes him great if you, you know, you, you see him on the street. Uh, he's not going to stop and sign every autograph because he's got more things on his mind. Uh, when you do get him in a relaxed atmosphere, you couldn't have a better guy. Uh, but but Kyle is as determined a young man as I've ever seen driving a race car. 
Chris Powell with us, the president of Las Vegas Motor Speedway as NASCAR is back in Vegas this weekend. Uh, you mentioned Kyle's son, Brexton, is racing, and he's only six years old. You have any kids or grandkids that are racing? No, uh, <laughs> because I gave him, gave him the opportunity when my uh, five boys were young uh, but they didn't take to it very well, and and I was sort of glad, if you'll know the truth about it. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of danger involved. They're not just out there playing tiddlywinks, or, or but you know, there's there's a lot at risk. Now NASCAR has gone to great lengths to to make the sport as safe as they possibly can. But when you've got cars going anywhere from 150 to 210 miles an hour uh, at various times at various Ways, you, there's a, still a lot of danger involved, and you, you, all you got to do is ask Ryan Newman from a couple of years ago, or um, guys that have crashed here, and, and, and uh, you know they're shaken up. It's it's uh, it's a tough sport, and uh, but you know we we've we've been racing here at the Bull Ring for almost three decades now, and and our sport has benefited from what has transpired here in Las Vegas in. The, We've had a lot of racers come through here that have gone on to compete in the higher levels of NASCAR. You, I mean, not just the Bush brothers, but you've had Brendan gone who came within a whisker of winning the the uh, Truck Series Championship a couple of decades ago, and and you've had guys like Riley Herbst who's competing this weekend in the in the Xfinity cars, and and Noah Gragson will be out here in the Cup car, and you know whether it's. Uh, uh, the Gallagher kids, Spencer Gallagher, has come through here and raced, and 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 uh, we just had so many racers come through Las Vegas, and there is no city that has provided more uh, drivers into the elite levels of NASCAR than Las Vegas over the past couple of decades. It really is amazing what what this city has done for motorsports. And you go back and you you give a lot of credit to guys like Mel Larson, uh, Norm Johnson is a is a guy who was so supportive of off road racing here. Uh, Michael Gone. Uh, this is really a hotbed of motorsports and will continue to be. And uh, we're very proud of the role that Speedway has played in it. But uh, uh, it should be a, a a lot of fun this weekend. And and uh, I've, I think I've wandered far enough that I forgot the original question here, but I will tell you that Vegas has had a tremendous impact on motorsports. Do you like overtime? I do, but I don't like the rule that says once the leader takes the white flag that there is no more racing right. if caution comes out between that point and the, and the checkered flag. Right. Uh, uh, you know, I've been watching NASCAR since I was a kid, and I can tell you that no driver ever got hurt in the history of the sport as much as a hangnail um, because they raced back to the line. I have, uh, but I, I know that they're they're trying to make sure that that never becomes the case. That they, you know, they don't want to have cars on the track. And uh, and the caution comes out, and still have the drivers racing back to the start finish line. So I understand it, but doesn't mean I gotta like it. Uh, Chris, what is your favorite place? Where is your favorite place to watch a race at Las Vegas Motor Speedway? I would say the Earnhardt Terrace probably provides the greatest view. Uh, the Petty Terrace is a close second. But the Earnhardt Terrace sits just above turn four, and the way it's angled, 
you can see all of Pitt Road, you can see all of the racetrack, you can see all of Nellis Air Force Base, and you can see the Las Vegas Strip. So how much better could get that? Um, I mean, you might have to turn your head just a little bit if you're in the Petty Terrace to see the Strip, but you can see all the same things there as well. It, uh, you know, the sight lines and the angles are, are absolutely fantastic here at our Speedway, and I think that's been proven by the fact that our our, our two races, our NASCAR weekend in the spring as well as the one in the fall, uh, we continue to bring fans from all over the country, in some cases all over the world, to watch NASCAR racing here in Las Vegas. Well, how, how can fans come out this weekend? They can call six hundred. Excuse me, eight hundred six four four forty four forty four. It's even easier if you log on our website, LVMS dot com. Stands for Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and uh, purchase tickets. We're going to have a great weekend here. We've got a lot of star power uh, that won't be holding a steering wheel this weekend. We've got. Uh, let's see. We announced yesterday that Bryce Harper is going to be the Grand Marshal, and Terry Fader is going to sing the national anthem, and Uncle Cracker is going to provide the pre-race entertainment. So we got a lot of things going on. Our governor, our newly elected and newly uh, inducted governor uh, Lombardo, will be driving the celebrity pace car before the race, and will also be uh, addressing the crowd. So. Got a lot of good things going on. I got an interesting fact for you. There's one driver, and I guarantee that neither one of you can name this driver. There is one driver, the only driver who has competed in a race on our mile and a half super speedway every year since Las Vegas Motor Speedway opened in 1996. Every, every year. year. Now you think about that. 1996, 27 years. Who's still racing? That's been racing that long. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't have a guess. Well, your time's up. Kevin Harvick from oh, Bakersfield, California, raced here in the Winston West race in 1996, wow. and has raced in the trucks and the Xfinity and the Cup Series from that point forward. And so, Kevin Harvick was retiring this year as the driver of the number 14 uh, car. Will be, will be retiring this year, but he has competed every year since 1996 Speedway Open. Hard to believe, isn't it? Does Kevin Harvick know how old that makes him sound? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got a son that's older than Brexton. How about that? <laughs> All right, Chris. And, and his son is also going to be uh, competing at the higher levels of NASCAR before too long, I'm sure. Uh, before we let you go, you can correct me if I'm wrong. You went to North Carolina. Are the Tar Heels making the NCAA tournament? Oh, boy, it's been a rough year. You know, preseason number one, and now they're on the cusp of not even making I think they make the tournament. Uh, they might even beat Duke on Saturday. Uh, they'll probably go out of the ACC tournament in the second round and probably make it, but I don't see them getting past the first weekend. It's been a rough, rough year. And uh, i got a great recruiting class coming in, so uh, I've got big hopes for the future, but I'm not very optimistic about the month or so well he is chris powell the president of las vegas motor speedway again nascar's back you got the truck series on friday and capped off with the pennzoil 400 on sunday chris thank you so much for joining Thanks, chris. us take care of yourself tyler and ed thank you for having me and you take guys care. have a good weekend we hope to see you out here you too so there is chris powell from las vegas motor speedway and now 
We got Luke Bryan tickets to give away. Uh, his residency is extending it at Resorts World Theater. Uh, and we've got tickets for August 30th. A pair of tickets to go see Luke Bryan at Resorts World Theater. 702-364-1100. That's the phone number. 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number 11 to go see Luke Bryan. I don't think fans get mad if you're making 30 40 $50 million if you play basketball every night. But you can't make $30, $40, 50000000 million and then sit out games. I think it's disrespectful to the game. I think it's disrespectful to the fans. I mean, they fly private. They got the best medical stuff ever created. I mean, listen, it ain't like we should working in a steel mill, brother. I mean, if people working in a steel mill every day, I'm pretty sure they tired too. You're locked in the press box. Is that... Charles being get off my lawn guy, or yes. do you agree with him in terms of uh, load management? Do I want to? Would I prefer NBA players play every game that they're healthy? Yes. Yes. But the goal is to win an NBA title, and playing yeah. a game on February 17th doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't impact your chances to win the championship. In fact, it's better to probably not play most of those games because. You want to be rested for the postseason. You don't want to be worn down. Same thing in hockey when we talk about goaltenders. I can't remember what the exact stat is, but the amount of times a team has won a Stanley Cup with a goalie who started like 60-plus games in the regular season is minuscule in the last decade or two. Like, rest is important. Unless it's the NFL where you only play 17 of these. 17 games, yeah. Rest is important if you're going to win a long... Because the problem with our sports, mainly hockey and basketball... You play this long regular season, and then if you're going to win the title, you got to play for two more months, right. and you got to do it every other night against the other best teams in the league. You don't get to play the Houston Rockets once you get to the postseason. So I would like to see them play. I don't like turning on TNT on Thursday, and oh, Giannis is out tonight. Right? Like I don't want to watch the Bucks without Giannis. That's stupid. But I understand why you do it. If I was running a team, I'd be doing it too. Right. There's no incentive to not do it. Like, even if you start finding teams, well, we're still going to do it because we're trying to win the title here. So I get why they do it, but yeah. it is kind of annoying. The real answer that'll never happen, shorten the season. Right. They're never going to do that. Be, they'd be throwing away game day revenue, but that's the real answer. A 60-game season or whatever is the real answer. The, the teams and the players are telling you, we only need our best players to play 60 games or whatever. So have a 60-game season. They won't, but that's the... That's the answer. All three outside of the NFL, baseball, basketball, and hockey should all have shorter seasons. Baseball should be playing like 100 games, and then let's get into the postseason. Basketball and and hockey should be playing like 60, and then let's go. Let's get to the postseason. Because ultimately, what are we watching all these sports? We watch the postseason. Like yeah. that's that's what we care about. That's the that's, whole thing about hockey, hockey playoffs. Yeah. That's all anybody cares about. So who cares about the other twenty plus regular right. season games? They're never going to do that. They're never going to give up that money. But Charles is get off my lawn because he was the guy that was playing. I don't know did, how many games did he take off in his career. I assume he was playing pretty much every yeah. night, regardless of his Wait. minor injury status. His weight, damn, Jared. Just calling people fat over here. No, I thought that was one of those things that the every round time. Mound? Yeah, he would always get told, like, if he lost some weight, he would be as good as Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Not worth it. No diet's worth that. Um, before we go, UNLV plays Utah State tonight. Ken Palm projects a two-point win for Utah, Utah State. State. So close game is expected. Ooh. Can UNLV win this game? Yeah. Sure. You, you think they, they do? They played them 
No, because I think Utah oh. State. I think Utah State is too much to play for. Come on, Ed. Give us a. Come on, risk it. I think they no. They can. They they played them tough in Logan. What was that a four point game? Uh yeah. The one kid hit twenty in the first half. Yeah, then Taylor Funk had twenty. He did not score. He didn't yeah. score again. Didn't score in the second half. My main question. So here's here's what I think about Utah State is that they are a really good test for how Kevin Kruger has built his roster because they're the exact opposite of how Kevin Kruger has built his roster. Utah State is one of the like ten best shooting teams in the country, right? That's been that's the priority at Utah State. Get guys that can shoot. Kruger's the exact opposite. Shooting is secondary, if that. It's been we got to get Tertiary. guys that can defend, right. right? And if you can shoot, great. Utah State's a great test because they've been a good team in the Mountain West for a while. Different coaches and some different roster builds, but they generally are a good three-point shooting team, and they don't usually have the greatest athletes, right? They're a bunch of white guys that play basketball, and UNLV has a really tough time beating them. So they're a fascinating team to me because the way Kevin Kruger builds his roster, if you're worse than Utah State and how they build their roster – you're probably never going to be a good team in the Mountain West unless you start building your team like they do. Well, he tried to build a team like the best team. He's not good enough to do that. They're just simply, they didn't get good enough players to do that. And until he can land better players, they I don't think they can build how San Diego State builds and win in this conference. They've got to get shooting because that's what matters in college basketball, and that's why Utah State's good with who the hell is Taylor Funk? It's a guy who went for 20 in the first their half. Their best player the is half. Stephen Ashworth. Yeah. Who is that? That's their best player. Utah right? State. Like, that, those are guys that UNLV can get that level of player. But they prioritize that level of player that plays good defense, not that level of player that shoots well. Right. And shooting is probably more important than your overall defense. Right? You can't be terrible on defense, obviously. You want the guys that are great at both, but those guys are hard to find and don't usually go to UNLV. They go to Kentucky. Yeah. And they kind of suck this year. Maybe I need to use it. They go to Houston. They go now. to Baylor. Right. But you can get good basketball players that have flaws. Don't let shooting be one of the flaws. And tonight, can they make up what's probably going to be a pretty significant three-point difference? Right. Last game, Utah State hit 11 threes. UNLV hit six. Only That's, lost by four, though. Right. They, they, UNLV was better at the other yeah. aspects of the game, yeah. but Utah State shoots much better than them. If there's a massive difference tonight, Utah State hits 15, UNLV hits 7, I don't think they have a chance to win. If it's close, if they, UNLV they can knock some downs, if Utah State hits 12 and UNLV hits 10, they probably win the game. Yeah. So I Utah State's a... That's a matchup that always stands out to me is why is that program always better than UNLV? They're not landing superstar players. They're not in a desirable location. They don't have a ton of... There's no reason Utah State should be better than UNLV. You ripping Logan? I've never been, and I'll rip it. I think they have a Chick-fil-A.